Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. The call to confession today is Proverbs 28, verse 14. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. Whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. This proverb underscores the benefit of the holy caution. It sounds strange, but it's very true. Happy is the man who fears always. Most people think that they will be happy if they have no fear, and fear is far from them. But happy is the man who always keeps in the forefront of his mind a holy awe and a reverence of God, of his glory, of his goodness, his authority, his wisdom, his power, and his justice. Happy is the man who keeps a tender conscience and has a trepidation of the appearance of evil and is jealous also of himself, distrustful of his own sufficiency. He who keeps such a fear as this will live a life of faith and watchfulness and therefore is happy, he's blessed and holy. He avoids the trouble which comes to a fearless and a careless sinner who has hardened their hearts against God, his church, or his people. Those who persist in the hardness of heart, who stubbornly stay locked in the sinful paths, cast off a due reverence for God, and they will fall into mischief with greater guilt and misery for themselves. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. Timothy chapter 2. I urge then, first of all, that requests and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. I think preaching can partake of some of the current events in our society. And in other words, it wouldn't be as appropriate to preach this in six months. And actually, I preached it two weeks ago when it was really fresh. But we just had an election. I don't want to be that cage stage Calvinist guy that says, well, the only real election. Yeah, we know. In eternity past. Got it. But we are citizens of a temporal society, the United States of America. And the events in the last few months have been fairly alarming to most Christians. We are now living in interesting times And if you held your nose real tight and you voted for the winner, I totally get it. I understand. I know where you're coming from. If you didn't hold your nose at all and you wrote in someone and you voted your conscience, I get that too. Good. Never go against your own conscience. Now, if you had to put on a gas mask and you voted for the other person, we have to have a talk. We'll talk to the elders. You know, it's pretty pretty alarming there. And Pedro wasn't running. Do you get that? reference? All right, thank you. At my church, there was a whole two rows of people that looked at me like, what? Who's Pedro? I filled him in later. But seriously, the Word of God 
the, the God-breathed scripture speaks very clearly to the state of our nation and how we Christians are able to process all the things that are going on around us and what a consistent Christian worldview equips us for. There's much that the Bible says about our relationship with the civil authorities, as the, as the old Puritans would talk about, the civil magistrate. Romans 13 tells us to be subject to the governing authorities. And in 1 Peter 2, there's a parallel passage where he says, be, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether the emperor or to governors. And we're to pray for those. And I'll have to be very transparent and honest. I find it difficult to pray for people who I know are 180 degrees opposite of what the truth is. You know, from our gospel reading, everyone was waiting for that next verse where Pilate replies, everyone on the side of truth listens to me, and Pilate says, what is truth? You know, not, not as a, oh, please, Jesus, help me to know the truth. I'm hungry for... No, Pilate's an old consummate politician. He's been around the block a few hundred times. He didn't just fall off the turnip chariot, as it were. What is truth? What are you talking about? Truth? We govern for expediency, for pragmatism. Machiavelli hasn't written yet, but I'm pretty sure Pilate would govern according to those, those realities. And of course, Christ also taught us to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Never forget the next line, and render to God what is God's. You don't give to Caesar what's God or God's and vice versa. But you know, as a, as a way of, by way of reflection, we can kind of look at how this played out. And it's still playing out. It's going to be playing out for a while. But I mean the election and the campaigning and all the mudslinging. Every four years, the most importantest election ever. This is it. And those of us that have been around for a while go, yeah, sure. I re- <laughs> right, right. Actually, I think it was fairly important. And let me just say, for transparency, I think we dodged a bullet in a way. Maybe an ICBM. But Proverbs says that it's okay to take observations and make application from them. My son, look at the house of this lazy guy. There's junk everywhere. There's dog mess in the yard and nothing picked up and and look what's going to happen to this or from Proverbs 7 the window of my house I look through the lattice look at these simple fools chasing after skirts son take heed so we're preaching to this particular situation okay and I hope though that we can make universal application for this that anyone would listen to this and go okay I can I can apply that to my situation So, three points of observation. I believe these are in your bulletin. Number one, one thing that we can conclude from the last election, that this is not a gauge by which we can measure the spiritual state of our country. This is no accurate barometer. It's no gauge, right? I do believe we dodged a bullet in the sense of someone who was vocal and out front with their intention of continuing the unmediated slaughter of unborn babies in the United States. I use the phrase without any hesitation, and I hope I'm in the, in the line of other men like John Knox, you know, stand right up in front of Mary and you know, risk his life. I'm not risking my life here, I don't think. But uh, 
She never meant an abortion she didn't want you to pay for. She's a bloodthirsty, murderous, warmongering person on record as saying these things. This is what I will do. I want to overturn the Hyde Amendment, which Hyde is kind of a version of Wilberforce that he put his neck on the line and reputation at stake so that no tax dollars would ever directly pay for the killing of a baby. I want to overturn that. What does that sound like to you? What, what possible motivation? Well, who knows? Money, power. And this is a person who persecuted women who her husband paid attention to. This is not a godly person. In every sense of the word, there's a worldview issue going on that is diametrically opposed to everything we as Bible-believing Christians hold to be true as convictions from Scripture, all the way from worship to how we raise our children, because guess what? How we raise our kids doesn't stay within these four walls. It has broad application. And even worse for us post-millennialists who take the long view, and we're actually out for world conquest by the gospel, right? Am I right? I right? We want to see everyone converted to Christ. We want to see people's lives change so that their lives reflect the one who can give life and, and all of those good blessings and benefits, right? But this was no righteous judgment, I think, from, from the point of view of the people that voted. I think it was really a repudiation of everything that just seems unjust and petulant and foolish and irrational. I, with my studio business, I have a lot of interaction with people that aren't believers, and they're mostly, you know, got tats and piercings, and they wear black, and they play real loud and stuff, which I like loud, but the rest of it, no. And even, it's almost like even your own poets have said, well, that just doesn't make any sense. Well, no, it doesn't. Of course not. The kind of PC outrage, uh, what are some of the, what are some of the things that Virtue signaling, where it's all those people out there. It's a denial of the safe spaces that we've been hearing about. I'm sure you've seen the meme with, you know, young men coming out of the, the boats and going to Omaha Beach, and they're 19, and then they juxtapose that with another 19-year-old who's tears running down his face because someone doesn't agree with him, and now he needs to go to a safe space at the college that his parents are paying exorbitant fees it just doesn't make sense. It's crazy talk. This last election, I think, was a renouncing of the very mindset that brought the confusion in the bathrooms at Target. It's some degree a veto of the bloodlust of abortion. I have friends who are not Christians, who are pro-life 100%. It doesn't make sense to them. And it was a reaction to being constantly talked down to like you're an idiot from the Midwest. I know the coasts, left, right, east. And here we are, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, salt of the earth, working class, just want to work and, you know, raise your kids. Do you have, is there an IQ quotient that's lower because you want to do this? I don't get it. But they're constantly talking as if you're, what was it, basket of deplorables. That's just, people don't like that. After a while, you get tired of it. It's almost like the, uh, <clears throat> it is the lesser of two evils. I, I seriously believe that. 
And that's not the same thing as righteousness, though. Just the, the ability to recognize that something's unethical and morally repugnant. That's not the same thing as righteousness. In fact, we would even say that if, if we only get our sins forgiven as Christians, that's not enough. That's fundamental and foundational. If you don't have your sins forgiven, you're not in Christ. But there's that other part where Christ's righteousness is imputed to you so that when God sees you, he doesn't see this bundle of insecurities and ex-sinner type of thing. He actually sees righteousness. So it's not the same thing, just having a recognition of evil. I hope, I hope I'm being clear there. You can be a good conservative and you can work hard and you can love your country and be just as much on your way to hell as anyone else. So this is not an, an area of, well, yeah, America, remember after 9-11, pride, you know, it's not like that. So really, ask yourself this question, does, does the United States look like a country that's embracing God's law and putting on repentance and no, not yet, not yet. So let's not put any rose-colored glasses. So number one, it's not a bellwether of the spiritual state of our nation. Number two, it's beyond any question that the media and the academy are not our friends. <laughs> Dateline, Livingston County, <laughs> as if we didn't know that, right? But even more so, I think they have a vested interest in destroying any vestige of Christian influence and godliness that exists today. And saints, we're a part of what's called the church. Jesus promised that the gates of hell, defensive, will not prevail against the church. So of course we have enemies and they're well-funded and they're intelligent and they can turn things around and make you sound like a, you know, a mean bigot without, without even losing any sleep over it. It's not a coincidence that 96% of all campaign contributions from the media went one direction. And I'm going left here. It's your right, but it's my left. It went over there. Now, news is supposed to give us information. It should be factual, right? And Psalm 51.6 says, Surely you, O Lord, desire truth in the inner parts. Teach me wisdom in the inmost places. You know, 20 years ago, the big issue was whether there is such a thing as objective, absolute truth. And even with those within the church that wanted to hang on to that, they would say, yeah, but you can't know what that truth is. Well, now, now we're being told that truth um, doesn't really matter. I'm almost 56. In my house growing up, my dad was a Bible-believing, you might even say he was a fundamentalist, kind of pietistic. We didn't have cards and no beer in the fridge, you know. And he had all these anti-communist books on the shelf. And if something was so obviously untruth, untrue, but someone was you know, trying to make it true, dad would say something like, well, there's Pravda. There, you know what Pravda is? It's the Russian word for truth. It used to be the the official state newspaper of the Soviet Union was Pravda. And it's one of those dark, twisted, 180 degrees out of whack Soviet jokes about Pravda. What is truth? 
When we, say, when we think about Christ as being the way and the truth and the life, and we worship the God of truth, as Jeremiah refers to Yahweh, Yahweh truth, um, folks, there's nothing that can't be misrepresented and distorted and strawmanned and cooked over or lied about that is beyond the ethical dividing line of most of the mainstream media right now. They'll spin it any way possible, just like in Romans 1, people know there's, a, know there's not just a God, but the God, the one they get angry at when they hit their thumb with a hammer, and yet they suppress that truth and unrighteousness like a, like a beach ball. My friend Tim Bailey, you guys ever read the, the Bailey blog? He's kind of a friend of Doug's and stuff. Anyway, Tim Bailey's from Bloomington, godly man. He wrote this on, on his blog, and I, and I thought it was very poignant and very telling. He says this, quote, In these United States, the past couple of decades, what has changed is that our superiors are intent upon wiping out the people of God by stealing our children. Stay with me. If you ever ask them to their face, they deny it. But listen to them and their words, and it all becomes clear. So now, all Christian preaching in the apostolic tradition is hate speech. Christian witness in the workplace is hate speech. Our children speaking biblically in a public school, that's hate speech. Writing on Facebook is hate, hate speech. The books we publish, hate speech. Biblical pronouns and nouns that we use when we write or speak in the academy are hate speech. Bumper stickers are hate speech. The Bible is hate speech. And he goes on. One, one more paragraph I want to read from Tim Bailey. Our children and their mothers know very well, sometimes better than their fathers, that Tim Cook, he's the CEO of Apple, just so you know, Tim Cook, Hillary Clinton, the Supreme Court, are determined to employ the force of law to persecute and silence those who belong to Jesus. These thoughts are still in their incipient, in other words, beginning form, but I'm now resolved to stop thinking that we're going to be able to pull it out of the fire. He goes on, the ship hit the iceberg a long time ago. It's taking on water, and we're barely keeping up with the pumps. Is this accurate, do you think, my friends? Do you think it's an accurate representation? I mean, I know how it is when you live in a smaller town, in a smaller area. You're not as directly influenced, affected by that kind of thinking. And it's easy for us sometimes, you know. Again, I... I live in a small town. It's about 3,500 people. It's probably smaller than Howell. You don't really have that direct, right? But remember, what, what does Hebrews tell us? To remember those who are in chains? Well, I know that the couple in Oregon weren't in chains, but they lost their business because they refused to do what? Bake a cake? Or the little pizza place not too far from where I live in Walkerton, Indiana. Shut down because on camera, the owner of this, the place said, well, we'd rather not cater a reception. Really? That's, that gets you shut down for going against your conscience? This is the world we live in. 
And again, the person who lost the election wrote, it takes a village. She's not talking about community. She's talking about the state. I know we're all familiar with R.C. Sproul. He probably is the man, if, if anyone's responsible for bringing Reformed theology back into the purview of the evangelical churches, R.C. Sproul. I probably said it before, I never forget when I listening to an old cassette tape with the piece of paper in, and he says, regeneration precedes faith. I about drove off the road. What? What? Where, what's he talking about? Well, famous conversation with R.C. And, and my favorite guy, Francis Schaeffer. R.C. asked Francis, what do you see as the greatest danger to the American evangelical church? And without missing a beat, what did Francis Schaeffer say? The state. The state. Statism. And that leads me to my third point, statism. Number three, the issues that divide us have become a lot more focused, a lot more clear. The dividing line between rationality and insanity are out there, I believe, for people to see. And what do I mean by irrationality and insane? Remember, there's no fact that is a fact apart from the fact that God says it's a fact. Or to put it very simply, there's no neutrality. There's no objectivity. Nobody comes to bare facts and is able to objectively, with dispassionate justice, be able to, oh, I interpret these facts with absolute clarity. No, everybody has presuppositions. You don't wake up every morning having to reinvent the wheel. No, you probably wake up and go, another day. Thank you, Lord. Um, I'm not under his wrath. I'm forgiven. I'm one of his people. I hope we wake up every day like that. But that's a presupposition, isn't it? That's that's an assumption that you're making, which is based on truth, of course. But we don't go around and say, well, we're going to give this proof of why I'm a Christian every single day. You just live your lives, right? But these worldviews that we're dealing with, whether it's a Christian worldview or a materialist worldview... I believe they're becoming a little more stark and a little more observable. And of course, now we can find out information so much more quickly with the internet. And as we all know, worldviews collide with each other. And there's a worldview that produces joy and life and godly offspring. I see a lot of godly offspring in here. At least I hope they're godly. There's a a worldview that that brings that forth in a way that no other worldview does. And there's also a worldview that is its opposite, that produces death and sorrow and barrenness. And everyone has this network of assumptions and how we interpret the information that we get, right? And as the Christian, we presuppose that God is triune and that he loves us and that he has a plan for his universe that if we obey Jesus, that that plan then becomes more and more cognizant, more and more visible. The kingdom, like a little bit of yeast in a dough, it it goes through the whole lump eventually. But I think what we're seeing in front of us is this opposite worldview that produces sorrow and death and barrenness. We're seeing a lot of the fruit from that tree, I believe. When we see people 
um, shutting down free speech because it doesn't comport with themselves. When we see people with a list of 42 gender pronouns, that's the fruit of pure materialism. It cannot do other than that. There's a lot of head shaking going on, a lot of disbelief and wonder. How do people think in these terms? How can you not recognize your own design? Folks, again, it goes back to Romans 1. And if you'll allow me just a little bit of when I was younger or when I was a kid, you know, we were drawing 50 years ago from a much broader and more extensive and public bank account of biblical values than we are now, right? So when I was in the second grade, Miss Stuckey, Mrs. Stuckey, would have, right before lunch, she would have everyone line up in front of the door and she would pick one of the kids to pray before we went to go eat lunch. What? What? What a, what a concept, right? That continued, I think, from kindergarten up until about the fifth grade. That would have been about 1970, 71. We actually prayed before lunch. Now, I'm not advocating school prayer. I'm with Doug Wilson on that. I'm against school prayer because I'm against school lockers. You know, why is the government doing school? But that's something else. The fact is that once something used to be considered unthinkable is now not only thinkable but approved of. Again, that was one of Schaefer's points with abortion. What was once unthinkable and designated to the dark corners of the, the alleys, right, is now actually promoted. So what happened between there and there? Well, there's a lot of discussion in that in the church, falling asleep at the wheel and all that kind of thing. But as a hater of God, the unbeliever doesn't want to hear that what they're doing is wrong. So what we're seeing, again, to this this point of the divisions being very clear, I had this discussion on Thanksgiving with one of my cousins who's not a Christian, but the gears are starting to turn in his head that this doesn't make sense. How come people think like that? I said, remember, go back to your Sunday school days at the old Church of the Brethren, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember all that narrative building up to the point where the men of the city are gathered outside of Lot's house and they say, bring those men out so that we may yadah them, so that we may know them. And Lot says, I beg of you, don't do this wicked thing. What was their response? They lost their minds. Up to that point, they could have a talk. They were interacting. Everything was at least on that level. But as soon as Lot said, what you're about to do is wicked, unethical, evil, their response was they lost their minds. Collective freak out. And I've, I haven't see, seen anything quite like that, but I've seen a group of people lose their minds immediately, and there's no talking sense to them. Remember in the story, the angels blind the crowd and they shut the doors. That's not even enough. They're so freaked out that they wore themselves out looking for the door. Looking being a metaphor there for, uh, you know. Folks, it's, it's like that in some ways. So when we see these, the anger, the responses that are coming from people who 
not just, they're, they're not on the fence because, you know, there's no one really on the fence. You're either in Christ or in Adam. There's no neutral ground there. But when we see the response, we shouldn't be all that surprised as Bible-believing Christians. When we see people reacting with such vitriol and hatred and not able to process, what, is, what does the Bible say about those who continue to suppress the truth? They're darkened in their understanding. They're captive to sin. Paul uses the term futility of their thinking. Just think about futility of thinking, where your thinking is like a guy beating his head against a cement wall, thinking the next hit he's going to get through, but he can't see that that's not going to work. It's irrational. But let me, let me turn this around a little bit. When I see these kids that are literally weeping and gnashing teeth, you could see the tears, and ah, ah, like throwing a temper tantrum. I want to say to them, listen, you guys... Um, You've been sold a bill of goods. You've been lied to. You've been told from day one in your public school that you're just the result of random actions and matter and energy just happen to come together. You just happen to be the way you are. You're just a grown-up germ. That's not true. You've lost your humanity because of the lies you've been told. Now quit goofing around, repent, and follow Jesus. I, I know there would be much more conversation in there. <clears throat> so think about what's behind that. Schaefer telling Sproul, the biggest issue is going to be the state. The reaction of people who have lost in more ways than one. So what do we call it? What do we Christians say if someone has all of their hopes and dreams and their grounding and their joy and their affections are turned to something other than God, that's called what? Idolatry. Exactly. And you know, all idols fail. All Dagons fall down. They never deliver what they promise. Fidel Castro just died. Did he ever deliver on the promise of an equal society where the rights of the poor are finally mitigated. No. The church is still persecuted in Cuba. That's an idol. That's, that's almost the ultimate form of statism where everything is subsumed in the great collective and Animal Farm is writ large in front of us. Right? Orwell's pretty right on with that. So folks, we may have just been given a stay of execution, if you want to call it that. I know that our president is not a moral and righteous man. I know that. Absolutely. I never watched The Apprentice, but I kind of get an idea of what he's like. So how can we think in terms of processing what we're seeing? And I'll be honest, I was prepared. What's, what's the election day, November 8th? Right? I was prepared November 9th to get up and go about my business. My marching orders are the same whether he won or she won. That you know might be more difficult. But we should be involved on every level, seeking to use legitimate means to establish full protection 
for those unborn people? So since our, our country is still careening pretty much headlong, defiant rebellion, one of the stories we heard on the radio this morning, we're like, well, there's your socialist radio at work, you know. In fact, I think you said that. <laughs> That's exactly right, yeah. So we need to be better citizens than we've been in the past. I, I think, it, I'm not going to give you assignments that, oh gosh, here we go, more, more to do, right? But just a few, few areas of application that we, can, that we can see. Since we know that this election wasn't a bellwether of the spiritual health of our nation, well, it was, and it's still bad. It wasn't like a barometer, okay? So with that in mind, um, let's continue to do what we do with an eye towards glorifying God and enjoying Him forever, as our confession says, that we would think in terms of turning these conversations not around to some kind of political talk, but turn it around to where it really, really counts, and that is the ultimate worldview of the person you're talking with. You know what I'm saying? So you don't get sidelined into policies and things of that nature, but you rather keep going, think presuppositionally, ask the person upon what basis are you making that statement? Where does that come from? At some point, you're going to be able to figure out whether this is a Christian who's not thinking consistently at all, or they're just outside of the faith, and they, they don't need a political savior. They need Jesus, and they need you, as one of Christ's people, to give them the gospel, to share with them, to care for them enough to tell them the truth. We worship a God of truth. Sometimes, I understand, I've been there myself, you, you don't want to put yourself out there and be thought of as a crank or whatever look we speak the truth in love right <clears throat> I'm sure we have friends that are trying to divvy out how we how we pay taxes because some of it goes to bad things well little sidebar through church history that has not been the way the church has responded to tyrants we're supposed to pay our taxes work towards a better future for our grandchildren. Now that I'm a grandpa, this stuff means even more. I'm thinking about my own kids. They're like, well, yeah, it's 26. By the way, we're expecting another one. Yeah, that'd be good. But I'm thinking about what kind of a world is Elise Harper Bohr going to inherit in 20 years when she's a young woman? She's six weeks now, so it's easy to think in terms of years. And folks, we serve our magistrate. We got a new governor in Indiana. We serve him the best by being really good citizens of heaven so that we can be good citizens of Indiana and Michigan. And those in political office still ask what is truth. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the vice president, but I know where he goes to church, where he's a member, and it's a godly, Bible-believing, the pastor's trained at Masters in you know, John MacArthur's group. So I know Pence knows the gospel. I've actually spoken to Mike a few times on the phone. Let's pray that the influence that this guy has is godly and is courageous and formidable so that the people in the camp are going to hear truth rather than just expediency, uh, what is truth, you know. I'm going to edit, edit some of this just for time. 
And I think really as, as Bible-believing, bought with the blood of Christ Christians, we really understand how this is ultimately an absolute truth commitment issue. The Romans 13 civil magistrate has to have a standard by which he punishes wickedness and commends the good. As Greg Bonson asked all those years ago, by what standard do you govern? By what standard do you make those decisions? So let's pray for those in, in authority over us that they're, they're actually going to a standard that has objective and absolute God-inspired truth to it. So let's learn from the mistakes of those who were weeping and gnashing our teeth. One of our other, other elders keeps reminding us as, as pastors, as congregation, to let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Only what is good for building up. That's one of the things he, keep, he keeps Nate and I kind of in check. Is what you're about to say edifying? Is it going to build people up? Because I'll be honest, both Nate and I have a tendency towards sarcasm and snark. Oh, really? Like that. So we have to be careful of that. But we can all take benefit from those passages that tell us as Christians, only for the benefit of others. So that may give grace to those who hear. So we just went through Thanksgiving and, you know, I don't know if he had the big family get together and I promise I won't talk about politics. Well, that never lasts. But you want to do so in a way that gives grace and benefits the hearer. Folks, keep educating your children. Keep training them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Absolutely, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. If If you're forced by situations, I know it happens, to send children to public school... Make sure you're on top of things, but keep doing that. Saints, we want to have the long view. Sometimes our enemies have a better long-term plan than the conservatives and Christians have had. I think as as Christians who are post-millennial in our optimistic eschatology, we have a, a good position to do that in. And as one of the Proverbs, or the proverb I read this morning, we do need to continue to stand in the gap for those who can't stand up for themselves. So we don't live in a country yet who's, uh, who's marked by repentance. It's still a country that's very full of pride and arrogance. We're Americans. We're the best country on earth, America. After 9-11, power of pride. I think people are still thinking like that. And even some Christians have taken the position that God won't really judge us all that harshly because, hey, we've supported so many missionaries and All of that stuff. And, you know, that just sounds like the people in Jeremiah 7. The temple, the temple. God says, I I know what you're doing. Don't think I don't see. So we in the church must be soaked and pickled in truth and grace. In fact, Nate and I were just talking about how precarious it is sometimes to be a, a church that's so founded on solid and sound doctrine, absolutely necessary, but also communicating the necessity to live in light of that and communicate it in a way that is full of grace and concern for the other person. I mean, admit it, we like to be right. How do you get around Ephesians 1? Well, you can't, but, you know, some of you know what I'm talking about. Or Romans 9 or John 6. No, you know, 
Amen to that. I'm not going back on any of that, but we need to be able to communicate that in a way that is, that is not just winsome, but is clear and unambiguous and actually demonstrates concern for the person that we're talking with. So continue to worship the Lord every day and on the Lord's day. Our worship in our lives must reflect the God of truth who we worship. Continue to pray for those in authority over you. Pray for the church. Remember, judgment begins with the house of the Lord. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your country. And be ready to say to those poor, misguided, deceived millennials and SJWs, that's no no besmirching actual millennials here, I don't mean that, but those who were so distraught when their idol came toppling down, I say, listen, your status as an image bearer of God is still there. You've been robbed of your transcendent value. Let me point you to the one who alone can give that transcendence, who can show the way to real life, not this counterfeit. And also know that with that transcendent value becomes the responsibility to live in light of it. So I'm going to close with that. And I think just as a as a, a real point of application that I would if, you know, walk out of here thinking about is remember that the most important election is, I said I wasn't going to do it, but the real election is that which God has set upon each one of you. Before the foundation of the world began, he set his affection upon you and called you, predestined, and called you in time and justified and will glorify in the future. With those things in mind, we don't have anxiety about the future. Sure, we're concerned. We want to work towards uh, betterment. But in the end of the day, we realize that our affections and our loyalty are to King Jesus and not to the state. And as we live as good citizens, then, of course, people will see and ask and be, be prompted to say, why, why are you like this? Why aren't, why aren't you so upset? Because Jesus is king. And I'm one of his children. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for caring for us, for being our God, and for considering us to be your people. Thank you for the adoption that we have as sons and daughters of the Most High through Christ. We thank you that you've been so patient with us and that you do not treat us as our sins deserve. Now, Lord, we absolutely lift up President-elect Trump and Vice President-elect Pence. And we lift up our country. We are a people of unclean lips, and we live among a people of unclean lips. We pray, Lord, for your mercy, that you would grant repentance to those who desperately need Christ, that you would give us boldness with grace, with love, and with truth to continue to proclaim to those the only gospel which can save and truly reunite a holy God to sinful people. Help us to live our lives in a way that reflects uh, transcendent meaning and value and the goodness of God and all of your blessings to us. Lord, we're so thankful. And so, Lord, please be glorified. Again, we ask for your patience. We ask that the next few years will bring about some modicum of Uh, turning this huge ship around. But Lord, we also understand and acknowledge that it's only through 
the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and people's hearts being changed, that this will have any lasting effect. So we glorify you now and we worship you. We give you all the honor. As we continue to pray, Lord, teach us to pray just as you taught us. psalm of thanksgiving. The author declares God's kindness in hearing his cries for help and his power in delivering him from death. While expressing his thankfulness, the psalmist ponders the following question. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? His first thought and answer to that question is, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. A time of thankfulness is also a time of remembering. Remembering, as did the psalmist, the great things that God has done for us. Thankfulness and remembering go hand in hand. To be forgetful of God's mercies is to be lacking in gratitude. To be thankful is to remember. And here we come to a time of remembering. Jesus told us to partake of this meal in remembrance of him. The bread and the wine remind us that Jesus Christ died for us. He bore our sins on the cross and endure the wrath of God in our place. Dear saints, I ask you then, what will you do to thank him? What will you render to him for all of his benefits towards you? Like the psalmist, take up this cup of salvation that the Lord has provided. Partake of it and call upon his name. Do so in remembrance of him, remembrance of his incarnation, of his perfect life, his death and resurrection, his sending of the Holy Spirit, his intercession for you at the Father's throne, and his promised return. Partake, remember, and give him thanks. And in doing so, you will render to our God the gratitude that is due him. We invite to the Lord's table all those who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine with us, you are acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope except in the sovereign mercy of God and that you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone. For salvation. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I dot com. Again, thank you and blessings.